hello, and welcome to chatty af, the anime feminist podcast. i'm dee hogan, the managing editor at anifem. i also run the anime blog the josie next door, and you can find me on twitter at josie next door. hi, i'm caitlin. um i am a writer and can an editor and contributor for uh, Anime Feminist, as well as running my own blog. I have a heroin problem. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter as all soon underscore no dare. That's such a good <laughs> name. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm Fry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, I run a blog, Fashionable Tinfoil Accessories. You can find me on Twitter, at Writer Vry, or on the other podcast that I co-host, at TrashPod. And this week, we're wrapping up our very multi-part watch-along of the 1990 shoujo fantasy Fushigi Yugi, as we knock out all 13 episodes of the OVAs in one fell swoop. This includes the nine episodes commonly referred to as either the Oni Arc or just the Fushigi Yugi OVAs, as well as the four episodes of Eiko Den. Uh, for those who don't know, OVA stands for Original Video Animation and refers to uh, animated episodes released straight to video. Uh, they're also sometimes called OAVs, or Original Animated Videos. I don't know which one's right. I guess they're both right. Um, the Fushigi Yugi ones have kind of some weird history to them, so I will go ahead and provide that background information as we go. Right? did you want to hop in and say something yeah, um, here? Or yeah, like, do you want me to go straight to well, anyone? Well, uh, you know how at the end of the last podcast I said that, you know, Fushigi Yugi's not for me, but it's an important work that we should respect and discuss. I think we can just go ahead and not apply that to these. I, I think these can go ahead and be forgotten to history. <laughs> All of them. All 13 of them, uh -huh. really. Well, oh, listen, there are some wow. bits, okay. but it's not... I don't know that it's worth the pain. The pain does not, the, the good does not outweigh the pain in this case. I think that um, they were ultimately unnecessary. So they do have some high points, just fleshing out the background characters. But man, like I, like I could have lived happily with ju just the TV series. Um, and I think if someone were to watch the TV series and love it, if they were to say, do I need to watch the OAVs, I would probably go, eh, mm, eh. <laughs> like exact, exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, um, Oni 1 you can throw in the dumpster, Echo Den you can throw in the dumpster. Uh, I will fight for the existence of Oni 2 to my dying breath. Uh, even though the thing that pisses me off the most about Fushigi Yugi is in that that stretch of episodes, um, I think it does some really good things. Not just with fleshing out the supporting characters, but uh, the way it tackles some of the themes of the series. And uh, attempts to make some... Uh, I guess attempts to rectify a little bit some of the some of the things that maybe didn't sit super well with me in the TV series. Um, it's very much a sequel. It's not necessary, but if you care for the characters, I think that OVA, I think that Oni Two is something that you that you will enjoy and that will. Uh, I think it has a very emotionally satisfying ending. So I I like I have watched Oni 2 every time I've watched the show. When I show it to friends, I always skip Oni 1, and I'm like, you don't have to worry about Echo Den. Don't, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but I always show them Oni 2 because I, I think I think there's a lot in there that's really good. So. The, the, the stuff that is good uh, in this stretch is all undeniably concentrated there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, but we are, I guess, going to talk about them each in turn. So we'll start with the uh, first one, which is Oni 1. 
so the uh, the Oni arc, this, these like six OVA episodes, were released one episode at a time from 1996 through 1998, pretty much immediately after the TV series wrapped. Um, they tend to all get packaged together, but as we've been talking about them just now, um, it's it, you kind of need to place them into two categories because Oni 1 is the first three episodes and Oni 2 is the last six. It's why they have different opening and ending themes and kind of a different vibe. Uh, Oni 2 is an adaptation of part two of the manga, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Oni 1 is 100% anime original and is basically a drunken fanfic. <laughs> that's, I don't, that's the only way I can, I can look at it. Um, the, the, the story in the fan grape, in like the fan verse at the time went that the reason they made Oni 1 was because they felt like some of the, some of the minor changes they made at the end of the anime didn't connect well with part two and that they needed a bridge arc uh, to make them on the same canonical, uh, canonical page. Ah. That doesn't really make sense to me, but that is that is the reasoning that I have heard is that it was intended to to bridge a a perceived gap. Um, having read the manga, I don't see the gap, but supposedly that is why Oni One exists. Mind the gap. Um, I've seen I've seen Oni One like I think twice, and I've watched the entire series six times. Uh, I usually skip it, and I tell everyone else to skip it because it's just. It's just incomprehensible and bad. Uh, I I have almost nothing to say about this. Do you guys have anything you want to say about Oni One? I, 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 mm, wow, that's, I mean, (laughs) I'm glad it was anime original because holy, the the fucking shit with Nakago, I can't, I can't. I, (laughs) I think the first episode actually seemed like it was setting up something kind of cool, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, like the idea of of who carries on the legacies of these people who do, who maybe don't technically exist, I think is an interesting one. Like that's a good fanfic. That's a good yeah. fanfic. Well, and also like um Tamahomi is Nakago? What? What's going on? Like mm-hmm. you know, it's it's strange and it's confusing. But then it just sort of like it, it sort of hand waves that all with like, "Oh, it's Kodoku." Oh, it's illusions. Oh, none of that was real. Yeah, like, Tomo yeah. survived so, somehow. So yeah, Tomo survived yeah. somehow. And then they killed off Amiboshi. Just so everyone knows, Amiboshi is alive and well. Thank you very much. Oh, apparently, actually, so is Koji. A- so is Koji. Yeah, Damn yeah, it. Yeah, the <laughs> novels um, apparently actually established that Amiboshi is alive, despite. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite what you may believe. And also, like, the second episode does have a pretty good fight between Tamahome and the bandits. I think... Oh, like, yeah, it's very... It's dramatic scene, as hell. That scene was very, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, shit, this is pretty intense. Yeah, like, <laughs> like the first episode and a half of it, I think, is actually setting up something really interesting and solid, and then it hits the midway point. And all of a sudden, nothing makes any goddamn sense. Characters are coming and going for no reason. Tenko is, like, cackling for, like, and you're not sure why. Like, Twincest is happening more explicitly this time. Yeah, like, there's just, like, (laughs) fucking incest everywhere. Um, Like, is it... I, like, I don't even remember what happened in the third episode because it's such a crazy fucking jumble right up to the end. Like, right up until the very end in the scene on the mountain where it's like, yeah, actually, like, Tamahome can't live with you. And that's such a big retcon. Like, it, it also, like, that doesn't seem to really totally make sense 
with the end of the TV series because we already established that he can't. Him just being Tomahome yeah. in her world doesn't jibe with the end of the TV series. Mm-hmm. Like, they have the ending where it's like, oh, some dude with memories from when he was a child at the end of this, uh, at the end of the show. But then in the first OAV, he's just Tomahome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's incoherent. And it's logically it inconsistent. It and it's just bad. It's really bad. It's just well, bad. It, it, it is. Well, and again, the reason a lot of the time I'm like, oh, you can just skip it is because it has no actual effect on the story. By the end of by the end of that third episode that, like you, Caitlin, I just kind of clocked out on because I was like, I'm watching this, but I'm not even trying to make sense of it because <laughs> there's way too much shit happening right now. By the end of it, we're, we just reset to where the, we were at the end of the TV series. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tomahome is reborn as a as a man of Miyaka's world, and that's that's where we were. So I have I I don't understand why somebody thought there needed to be this bridge arc, um, especially when you could have taken those three episodes and fleshed out uh, part two of the manga a little bit more. Which uh, ultimately, I think a lot of the cuts they made were good cuts, but it wouldn't have been a terrible thing to give it at least one more episode. I think. My memories um, of the second part. I've only read the second part of the manga once. My memories of it are not super clear. I read it like it's I reread it as we were watching. Um, they do a remarkable job of cramming five volumes into six episodes. Like it's genuinely impressive uh, how how well they how how strategically they cut and what they keep and how they kind of help things make sense, even though they tend to be moving fairly quickly. But there are some there's some stuff, especially in, the, in like the early chapters that we lose that it would have been nice to have um, that establishes kind of what's going on a little bit better. And there's some really nice stuff in the early going um, where you see that Yui and Miyaka's uh, friendship is like very strong and supportive and cute. Yeah. Um, and Yay. they had to dive and they had to just immediately dive into the story. Um, so you don't get you don't get very much of that at all in the in the anime adaptation. Uh, overall, though, I think it's I think it's a, a really good adaptation because they also cut a lot of bullshit. Bo- <laughs> really, really, that There's was the cut whole... version of the bullshit because there is still some bullshit in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, there's a whole extensive arc where. Um, oh, God. OK, so or wait, are we are we done with Oni One? Yeah, no, fuck Oni One. I should back up. Okay, yeah, no, only one is don't don't watch it, people. We, we yeah, watched we it can't discuss for the sake it. Of completion, we don't even know but... what the fuck happened. Well, and that's the thing. There's no real character development. There's no real thematic uh, purpose to it. Like as much as I don't like Echo Den, I can at least say that there are things. I can at least talk about things that it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. But with this, I'm like, mm, I don't. I have no idea. I've tried. I've tried, and I, I got nothing. So I guess should we real briefly touch on the omakes? Did we want to talk? Yeah. Uh, like before we dive straight into Oni Two, uh, we should probably touch on the omakes. And let's go ahead and just talk about like all of them for both Oni One and Oni Two. Uh, folks at home, omake is basically just means like an extra, and we're referring specifically to the little goofy shorts that appear at the end of the episodes after the credits and the next episode previews. Boy. Um, <laughs> I thought those Oni One Omakes were hilarious when I was like thirteen or fourteen. Oh boy, so did I. Yeah. Um, well, and and like I still think the first one's pretty the, funny. Yeah, I think the first one where they're all just fucking around on the bus is pretty. <laughs> yeah, good. no, that yeah. one's kind. Of, yeah, that one's pretty good. And like I prefer the oh, uh, I I prefer the style of Omake that's our characters are actors and here's them O O C hanging out to the um, Oni Two ones that are you know basically. Uh, gag reel flubbed takes which most of which i didn't feel like landed mm-hmm. it's it's kind of so, well i feel like the 
the gag reel ones actually had some pretty funny ones. They got dark. Some of the <laughs> Yeah, there's some of the gag reel ones I really like. There's one that is a hundred times better in English than it is in Japanese, which is an odd thing for me to say about this show. Oh really? Yeah, it's the one <laughs> It's the really mean one where uh, Mitsukake, where Shishiri's like all sad in his bed and Mitsukake's talking to him about like oh. his, like his past with, his, with Shoka. <laughs> uh-huh. And in the, in the subtitles, it's just like, yeah, we were really in love. Nothing like you guys. In the dub, the actor just lets it go. Oh, yeah, he's Richard like, F. we were in love, love, love. Not like you guys. That's, it's uh, like, oh my God. Richard Epcar's a really uh, funny guy. Um, it's Richard Epcar. Yeah. I fucking love Richard Epcar. We Sorry. had this conversation. Yeah. I know. Already. I've forgotten. We definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time, you guys. Anyway. <laughs> but no, um, so he's a he's a funny guy. He's got a dark sense of humor. He uh, well yeah, he clearly he clearly let it fly in that line. He was like, let's just milk this for all it's worth. I have to talk in a monotone the rest of the time, so I'm gonna have fun here. <laughs> So yeah, um, so the omakes are fun, and then there's a man in a dress joke because that third episode is just just a train wreck all around. Even the omakes can't, oh, can't the, be good. The one with and it's almost kind of particularly cute. mean. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like, like the part where they're just kind of all dressing up, and it's kind of fun. Like they're like, "Oh, Chiriko, you're so cute," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Okay, this part's kind of fun." They're just like enjoying wearing uh, traditionally feminine clothes, and then yeah, and then the stuff with Mitsukake is then it gets like deeply uncomfortable. Cause, yeah, because at the time it was just like. Ah ha ha! He doesn't make a pretty woman, and now it's like ah ha ha! Non-passing trans women, which <coughs> is really, really hurtful. It's not so. great. It's not great. Well, no, and and no. also like like it's just it's so much the capper on what all the shitty stuff with Mutsukake, but also like the whole death by snoo 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 thing. I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I wrong? At least. No, I I do find it kind of funny that in the in the manga death by the death by snoo snoo is framed as horrifying, uh, horrifying, and in the in the in the omake they're like woohoo death by snoo snoo. It's a very different change of pace. Yep, and like um, even Tom, like Tomahomi in the uh, OAVs is a lot like he's just is like yeah let's go whatever yeah. Miyaka. <laughs> I'm fine with this I guess. Goodbye to our yeah, lovely but Mitsukake wasn't fine with it, and nobody seems nobody seems concerned about the fact that Mitsukake was not fine with this. <laughs> That's not good. Oh God! So, yeah, oh. it's a mess. It caps a it caps a bad episode. There's that that third episode of the OVA is is maybe the worst episode in the entire series, and that is saying something. <laughs> just yeah. in terms of of it, it accomplishes nothing and goes nowhere, um, and doesn't make sense. So, so yeah, that's only one. We. Got like what ten minutes out of that? I think um, that's kind of what I figured. It's okay. We're gonna talk about Oni Two forever. There's so, a lot to unpack. Yeah, some kind of quick background information on it. It is like I said before. It is an anime adaptation of Part Two of the manga, which is volumes fourteen through eighteen. Five volumes of manga in six episodes of anime. Uh, shockingly well done, all things considered. The main bullshit that I was talking about earlier that they cut out is there's a bunch of stupid stuff with um, the woman Miru, the 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 female mm-hmm. demon. Like she strips Tama, she strips Taka down and like fakes like he forced himself on her. Oh god! And god. oh, it's terrible. Oh, you're you're bringing um, back then, like memories. I and then Keisuke, I had and then there's like. Yeah, and then there's, like, a whole subplot where, like, Keisuke's, like, pissed off at Taka and doesn't want him anywhere near Miyaka, somewhat understandably so, given what he thinks has happened. And then, like, Miyaka's mom finds out about, like, 
them wandering around and they were actually gone for like two solid months instead of the usual book time. There's a lot of like, just like unnecessary complications in the manga that the anime streamlines down and goes, you know what this story is about? This story is about these supporting characters and their, and kind of their arcs. And then there's kind of one big arc with Miyaka and Taka. And we're just going to talk about that. And I appreciate that. Kind of a, I guess, a fun fact about part two of the manga in uh, Watase's author's notes. She says it was written, quote unquote, by request. <laughs> and uh, it is pretty heavily implied that it, her editor um, and, and maybe the, like, the publishing company were basically like, hey, keep milking this cash cow. It's really successful. Um, keep, t- keep writing stories about it. So it was not part of her original plan. Um, and as a result, she kind of tends to think of it. She's like, it, it looks like a continuation, but I think of it more as a sequel. Like it's kind of, I wanted it to kind of do its own thing and have its own feel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like, I think it does. The, the part one just, it, it wrapped up. It wrapped up wonderfully. It did. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I think part two does well is it's a, somebody going, okay, well, if I am going to tell another story in this world with these characters, I should, what am I, what am I going to do with it? And I think you get the feeling that Watase had a better idea going in of exactly what she kind of wanted to explore and talk about with this part. So I think thematically it's a little bit more cohesive than part one, which is which doesn't necessarily translate into like a thrilling narrative. But I think it's a little bit easier to uh, pull some threads out mm-hmm. um, like right away. And, you know, I mean, it's been I think in some ways that does speak to her growth as a writer because it's been like three years since she started writing the series at this point. So I think she has a little bit of a better idea of like structuring a story i the thing i really i I think i really like about 90 percent of part two to be honest and i think the main reason is because it does that thing that the first half of the tv series did really well which is integrate the entire cast into an ensemble Mm. story yeah Uh, shigi yugi is better as an ensemble story and i think i think part two uh does that focuses on that i should say um so I wanted to go through kind of each of the individual story episodes uh one at a time but before we did, I thought it might be a good idea to talk about some of those sort of thematic through lines and what the series is discussing, because I think it pops up in pretty much every single story that we see. So let's real quick gloss over, like brush on those, and then we can kind of dig into them as right. we go into the different mm-hmm. uh, storylines. So I feel like I've been talking for a while, just <laughs> the floor about what sort um, of um, what sort of ideas you kind of see like recurring in the story. What you think this this arc was kind of about? I mean, it's it, it's. Mm, I feel like I haven't dug as deep into the OAVs as I have into the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's maybe I don't know. I maybe mean, I'm just sort of missing something. I I, I mean. Um, it's got these themes of, um, you know, the way we remember somebody versus the person mm-hmm. that they actually were and this idea mm-hmm. of, you know, projected images of people and the idea of grief and how it's self-serving more than actually about the other person since there's a lot of shit about ghosts, which feels a little cheap, but only a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story is, is littered with literal ghosts, and yeah. I, uh, but I think it uses them. I think it uses them well to have a conversation about um, essentially like, hey, all this shit went down in part one, and but life goes on and people have to deal yeah. with that. And mm-hmm. I like um, that. As, and I, th- I, I like that theme. Um, there's some like really like, is man good or evil? Really just pat sort of stuff, which is always just like... Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, the stuff with uh, with Ren or Shigio, he's got like three names. Um, Akira Ishida. The stuff with yeah. Akira Ishida's character <laughs> is, um, which I do love that the Omakes have this running gag about Ishida like trying to like 
piss off the voice actress who plays Tidescoon, who I'm guessing has been in the industry forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that joke made no sense to me as a kid. Now I think it's kind of amusing. <laughs> um, I went on an issue a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, they with, with his character, they do kind of touch on these ideas of like, well, and then and then some of the stuff with with Hiko and a lot of the a lot of the demons. It's this idea of um, these people who have been wronged, or just or just like bad stuff happened, and sort of losing faith in humanity entirely because of that. And mm-hmm. and then sort of com- contrasting that with our protagonists who sort of continue to try to have faith in others even when uh, things even when those those bad things happen. Um, so that's that's there. It's I don't think it's uh, super duper. Uh, explored, but it exists. Yeah, no, but it does sure. feel it um, does like like you said. It feels more cohesive than than part one, which has some powerful moments, but they're they're just kind of coming out as they come out. I think probably um, the more the the more thematically interesting parts of Oni Two um, were the question of what is the line between Tamahome and Taka. You mm-hmm. know, the question of identity and reincarnation. Because that's always something that's been really fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and also it's it's like yeah, this, this skeevy, unspoken thing of reincarnation series that like, are you a new person? No, you're not. You're exactly the same as this old person I liked. Right. Which, uh... And I think that's uh, jumping ahead. A l- I think jumping ahead a little bit, that sort of part of my issue with Eikoden is that they have all these kids and they, they, they're not regarded as new people at all. Mm-hmm. Like within the thread of the story they're following the same patterns they love the same people they're like oh i have something to say about that we'll get there yeah yeah we'll get there (laughs) we'll get there but um you know like taka generally struggles with being tamahome but also not being tamahome right being thought of as tamahome Mm -hmm. but not really being being treated like tamahome it was like honestly kind of irritating to me that they kept calling him tamahome Mm -hmm. well and i i think he should like if this was something that he was feeling insecure about, like, I think he deserved to have a moment where he turned around and he's like, I'm not Tamahome. I'm Taka. I, maybe I was Tamahome, but mm-hmm. I'm not anymore. Um, well, and I, and I don't think he gets to a point where he feels that way until the very, very end. And I, yeah, I don't want to jump. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Sorry. I guess we can talk about Taka now. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't want to jump too much into specifics at this point. I kind of just wanted to talk sort of general ideas and then, and then we can, that way, that way when we touch on them later, it doesn't sound like they're just coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the other part of that, of that conversation about uh, reincarnation, I think is kind of on this more meta level of like the, the fiction and the reality. Like you find somebody who's kind of like this character in a series that you really liked and then you, then you meet them in the real world and you know Miyaka uh, sort of ending up with this choice between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I think that's if if Miyaka Miyaka doesn't. We'll talk about it more later. Miyaka doesn't really have like a proper arc in this one, at, like she does in in the TV show. I don't think, but and I think there's a reasons no. for that that aren't necessarily bad. It's not. I mean, it's um, not her. Her story is pretty much settled. Yeah. Well, and I don't. I don't hate that because I think there is. I think it's nice to have a character who has grown up, and then when you tell the sequel story you get to see how that character has matured and, and you get mm-hmm. to see them as the person they became at the end of that first story in the stories of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think part two is really Miyaka's story. Um, I think it belongs to Taka and the other I agree. Um, I do want to say, uh, going back to Oni One a little bit, like the part at the end where she completely fell to pieces because she was getting the news that Tamahome couldn't live in her world 
it's like I get it, but I also was a little frustrated with it because it felt like it was mm-hmm. sort of walking back her it development did. I didn't like in it a either. big way. Like, yeah. it's like in another context, it would have been this really powerful scene, but that's already been settled. She already accepted that. Yeah. So like, why are we like why are we rehashing this? And like, yeah, and like I said, like that's part of what I like don't like about Oni One is it just walks things back to reestablish them again. That's why only one didn't exist, guys. Just, just here. It's like, it's like Matrix two and three. It didn't exist. <laughs> just wipe it from your memory. It's fine. Though that actually, um, kind of talking about Miyaka and uh, sort of her role in this arc, um, I do like she kind of becomes sort of like this ringleader, kind of emotional core character, where she's sort of pushing people on and and kind of. We'll talk about this a little bit with like the Chichiri arc, but um, is sort of encouraging people and, and talking to them and trying mm-hmm. to like uh, help them work through things. And I so I like that you see that progression of right. her mm-hmm. um, into into the sort of responsible, empathetic person you could see her becoming in the show, and then you really get to see her be yeah. that. I also think it helps in some ways, kind of uh, uh, not. I don't know. Again, I don't know if rectify part one's shortcomings is exactly the way I want to word it, but it creates like a little bit of gender parity with some of the things in part one that maybe irritated mm-hmm. me. This gets lost a little bit in the anime. It's, it's, I think it's a lot stronger in the manga. There's a focus on uh, Miyako really wanting to be the one to protect Taka this mm. time. Right. And save him and make him be safe. Whereas in part one, a lot of it, like Miyako does save the day in the end, but a lot of that is her being, you know, protected and saved by other people right. up until that point. Um, and, so I yeah. like that switch. I, I just, like that I all the love triangles this time are with dudes and uh, the men be competing. Um, and, and the one female friendship we have is like just loving and nice and simple. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, Taka has the Miyaka arc basically of like needing to gain confidence in himself and figure out like who he wants to be and what he's going to do uh, through the support of, of these other people. So those are some things I like about it. And then I think the big, the big, big, big sort of overarching uh, idea at the heart of part two is Watase wanting to explore love in all its many forms and the fact that it can be both productive and destructive, like almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think every story we get uh, touches on that in a different way, whether it's, whether it's yeah. families um, and that can be, you know, uh, parents and their children or spouses or siblings, uh, friends, uh, lovers, or people you maybe think you want to be your lover. Ugh, we'll get there. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I think, and I think it does that really well in all of its, uh, in all the stories it tells. Right. And so, you know, thematically, I think it is, it is very cohesive in that regard. And I really, really like that it's a story about love and it's not just about romance. Mm-hmm. It spends a lot of time on these other relationships that are depicted as being, you know, just as valid and powerful yeah, and important no, that's to true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think Watase is better at those other kinds of relationships. She is much better at In them. general, <laughs> in general, which is why a lot of these, a lot of these uh, stories we get about the supporting characters, I think, end up hitting a little harder than mm-hmm. uh, the main story. Although by the end, I, damn it, somehow I am, I am devoted to or committed. What's the word? Resigned? Invested? I'll think of it. I'm invested. Thank you. At a certain point, I am. I, I find myself invested in Miyaka and Taka. So it, it happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. You go through enough shit and your audience is like, oh, yeah, I actually do want you guys to be happy. <laughs> You've been through a lot. I, I but, don't know how I feel about them yeah. being the literal embodiment of love. But you know what? Yeah. Fine. I've spent enough time yeah. with them at this point. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you kids go have your happy ending. So, yeah, let's... Um, We've kind of, again, I, I'm, 
I hope that was okay to you guys that we kind of talked about it in sort of these broader terms and then we can kind of zero in on the individual stories. I thought that would be easier than just like constantly rehashing yeah. what was going mm-hmm. on as we went. So hopefully that was okay for our readers too. Uh, listeners. Whoops. Uh, words are Very hard. Very hard. Uh, before we get into the book stuff, there, is, there are a few things happening in the real world. I think we've actually sort of discussed a lot of them. Uh, there's the whole like student council plotline and the mob mentality stuff that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. It exists. Yeah, I liked it better it, when yeah. it was called Yurikuma Arashi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, I mean, and it, it feels like Watase kind of wants to hit on this idea of, and maybe it's part of that that overarching idea of like, like any emotion can be both productive or destructive. So like communities, like we have mm-hmm. this really loving and supporting community with the warriors, but then we see this this community, these other communities that like band together to destroy people who are different. Right. And so maybe that was what the attempt mm-hmm. was there. The other thing, uh, Miyaka and Yui are friends now, which is nice. It's very good. Yeah. We kind of already no, talked about that. But I, if you guys wanted to say something. I, um, I, like, <laughs> I, I like how... Yui is like in this version because she's still a little bit of her kind of snarky self, but she's mm-hmm. we we actually get to see her like being you know supportive and loving to Miyaka. In addition, like the mm-hmm. part where like Taka and Miyaka appear, she's like, "Yeah, they're here in my room. They're making it right in front of me." <laughs> like, yes, I loved that. <laughs> that took me right back to high good. school. Oh God. <laughs> oh. Just, I want me. I, I want Yui to have a good time, and she has such a bad time in these OVAs. She doesn't. She they they pull her as far out of the story as they can. Um, I almost feel like that was an attempt to have her have less of a bad mm-hmm. time because everyone who's deeply invested in these stories has a much worse time than Yui does. Yeah, it's true. It's um, true. Uh, she doesn't have a great time. It's um uh, definitely definitely ahead. uh she she's more of a support character with, alongside Keisuke and Tatsuya. Which, you know what, it makes sense. Like, her her arc is also settled, and she doesn't have all of this unfinished business with her warriors, because they were uh, garbage. Yeah, um, and they all died. They also all died. <laughs> or lost their memories. So, yeah, there's not... Although, I guess I guess death means nothing in this world. They could have come back as ghosts. They just chose I not mean, to. they did in Oni 1. They did. They, they, they kind of do in one of the light novels, kind of. God... N- Nakago gets stuck. Nakago gets stuck protecting the Shinzaho because the spirit has to protect the Shinzaho. Uh, <laughs> so he shows up in one of the light novels for a little bit because of that. That actually um, sounds kind that, of That light novel is good. In that light novel, Tasuke and Chichiri briefly join the circus. Hooray! <laughs> that one sounds, that that sounds really good, actually. I want that light novel to be. It's, the, it's Sambo Den. It was a part one and two. Oh, no, I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> It's a bridge story between part one and part two of the manga. Uh-huh. So it's like what we're tossing to cherry up to during these two years. Mm-hmm. And it's the plot's kind of convoluted. It involves the Shinzaho. Uh, but they meet up with these two girls who used to join, who used to belong in a circus. And they've kind of got a hold of the Shinzaho and they're uh, causing some troubles. Uh, but the girls are pretty fun. And there's a, there's an, a vengeful ghost of a, a dude. So the guy dies this time and the girls live, which is great. Uh, that's not always the case in the light novels. Right. Anyway, Tosuke and Chichiri go, get into scrapes. Koji's in it a lot. Um, and then at the very end, the girls go back to the circus and Tosuke and Chichiri travel with them for a little bit. <laughs> so <you're, laughs> and, and I'm like, why couldn't you have animated that one? I want to see that It has story. besties and bandit husbands and we didn't get this? Oh, man. I know. Okay, so do you think we should briefly touch on the uh, elephant in the room, which is Yui and Tatsuya's relationship? I hate it. Also, I mean, also, Taka is the same age as them, it seems like. like I don't uh, care he, for that the either. Manga, 
the manga establishes that Taka is 18. He's okay. in college, but he okay, like so. just entered. He just entered college. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, and if you, well, if you want to get really technical, Miyaka and Yui were in the book for a year. So Miyaka celebrates her quote unquote 16th birthday in the manga, but she's 17. Uh, yeah, uh, so they're two years. They're we, what? They're um, basically a year apart. Yeah, yes. we, we we had this convo, I think, um, more off screen, if you will, and we'll probably yeah. post a version of it on the website. Um, my short version of it is Miyaka and Taka, I guess, don't really bother me because, you know, they were 15 and 17 when they got together right. and now they're transitioning together. Whereas Yui and uh, Tetsuya kind of bother me because he was much older than her and, and more mature He's... and a legal adult before they became a thing. Right. And, and he is a legal adult in Japan terms. He is. Like, I looked it up on the wiki, and maybe that's not the most reliable source, but according to, that's the only source we have, and according to that, he's 20 in the TV series, and Yui is 15. It's Tatsuya and Yui's relationship is pretty, pretty sketch. My, okay, okay, we, uh, listeners, we actually did, we had a very, we had a conversation about this the day before we recorded this, um, that was pretty extensive about age gap relationships in general, um, and also talking about Yui and Tetsuya here. Uh, we are definitely going to uh, post that. We By the time this goes live, it should have been posted like a few days prior. So uh, we'll link it in the actual post for this on Annie Femme. Uh, you can go to the website and uh, probably just search for Fushigi Yugi and you can track it down that way. Um, We're going to so have we won't so much Fushigi super... Yugi content. <laughs> uh, we are. It's going to be great. All Fushigi Yugi all the time. Okay, maybe not that much. Uh, not not quite yeah, that much. Lots of Fushigi Yugi content. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we, we go into this we go into this discussion quite a bit more in depth there. Um, we've got a lot of other stuff we want to talk about on this podcast, so we decided that since we'd already talked about it, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it here. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's move on. <laughs> um, Dee, what do we want to talk about next? <laughs> we are going to go from that into the first of the major arcs in the in the book world, which is Hotahori's story. Uh, it is the story of spouses and children. That's the love we're exploring today. I was hoping that this one would hit me harder than it actually did. But mm-hmm. there were just parts of it that were so ridiculous. I know. That, like, there were, there were some moments that were just like, oh. But I was really expecting it to be like, oh my gosh, this character Hotohori has a son. He's a dad. Like, and I've... I don't think I've talked about it too much on the podcast. It's a running joke that I have a thing about dads, and <laughs> I kind of do. Um, but it's a lot of it is more to do with the whole like transformation from being just like a person to a person and a parent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the the you suddenly have you know this different role in this tiny person's life. So, like, I was really, really hoping for it to hit me hard because as much as, like, Hodohori irritated me constantly, I still have some affection for him. Just, like, I have, you know, some affection for all, everyone in Fushigiyuki except for Nakago. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that all the, like, absolutely insane shit kind of distracted from that. I I, I kind of dug it. I mean, it's dumb. It's unquestionably dumb, but it's dumb in that very sincere Fushigi Yugi way that I kind of respect. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's, a, there's a certain magic to Fushigi Yugi, and I realized it as I was watching this episode, and I think this is true of, of a lot of anime that I enjoy, where 
I can be just like neck deep in a scene that's like very emotionally affecting. Oh, Tahori leans down and his kid sees him and his kid toddles towards him and then falls through him and can't actually hug him. That's a and good yeah, that was, and I'm like, that was a <laughs> oh no, I say, I say, feeling feeling lots of emotions. I also I also kind of dig the the sort of metaphor. Sorry for talking about metaphors and fashigi no, of this idea of welcome. like of deceased parents uh or i mean really any i guess any relative but i think parents in particular this idea of you can hear stories about them you can see pictures of them all this you can you can sort of see them but you still can't touch them Mm -hmm. and i think that moment really hammers on that really hard this idea that like no there is this level of separation there right they thankfully have fantasy magic so they can kind of work around this briefly but then that that is what's going to go that's what's going to happen again like this is this is a very just short right. reunion moment see uh, i was distracted by yugi <laughs> i was distracted so much by anime. Taka. <laughs> exactly no the magic of it is that i'm like i'm sitting here like oh and i'm like sad and i'm almost tearing up and then taka's like enter me <laughs> and i start laughing and I chuckle and I'm like and I start laughing and then and then Hotohori gets to hold his son and I'm immediately back into being emotionally like oh this is sweet and the fact that it didn't completely pull me out of the scene I was like there is something amazing about I think a lot of anime does that where like something just ridiculous will happen and you'll kind of snort but you're still in it like you're like I'm still in this moment so whatever you did the English line the English line was come into me please Use my body. <laughs> <laughs> that was just too much. No, see, it's it's a callback to the blood threesome. This is all very intentional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you? No, I'll never forget that weird, weird scene. <laughs> and and that was and like that was just sort of building on, like, and I mean, first it was like, and I mean, this is my weird, like, I have knowledge of child development that like most people don't necessarily, mm-hmm. but when they're like, oh. He's he's a year and a half old and he's never said a word in his young life. And I'm just like, so? So? Well, I think they said he's not made a sound. Oh, see, in the English version, I'm pretty sure they said he hasn't said anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, but said anything like I think it's I don't think it's like, a, oh, he hasn't he hasn't said his first word yet. I don't I think it's more a matter of like he's never even made like, you know, cooing noises or babbles, um, which would be surprising. At that yeah, age. that would be strange. OK, yeah, that makes sense. But like like the ridiculous things just sort of kept stacking up and maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. But like when they're like being suspended by tentacles and begging this baby to put down his teddy bear (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then Honori like possesses him and now he is a baby with a sword Oh god, Hotahori's voice coming out of that oh god. child never fails to oh just god. make me crack I up die. hysterically. Like, Hokey! <laughs> like, oh no. Like, the whole episode was so ridiculous, but some moments did really hit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'll, like, his speech at the end, too, and I don't know if it was just a difference in the performances, because his dub actor generally does a pretty good job. But, like, his speech to Boshi at the end, and I, like, I get it. Like, you know, I you just have this moment to pack in so much that you want to say. But, like, mm-hmm. it was really, really just maudlin up until the very, very end where he's sitting there, like, you know, like, the whole speech is, like, be a good emperor, be good to the country in the way that I couldn't have been. But at the end when he's just talking about, like, how much he loves him. That was what hit. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, the, mm-hmm. the the sub sells it better, I think, and and also, I yeah, Koyasu Takahiro is a, is a very very good voice actor, so I'm sure that mm-hmm. helps. I also appreciate uh, Hotohori acknowledging that he's a shit person. That was good, <laughs> right? Affirming. <laughs> he, like... he kind of gets forced to confront the fact that oh, I died pointlessly, and I left people behind who really cared about me, and you know, in the case of a child, kind of depended on me. And so, yeah, for him to for him to admit, like, wow, I'm a, I'm a bad father. I'm I'm so sorry for leaving you guys. Was because it again the thing with Hotohori wasn't like it wasn't like with the other with some of the other character deaths where it was like there wasn't really a choice. Like Hotohori mm-hmm. definitely had a choice, and he made a really really bad one. Mm-hmm. So so for the series to kind of force him to confront that uh, was very satisfying to me. Yes, it it was good, and I approved yeah. of it. Yeah, but yeah, there, there, it is absolutely a fine balance that I can see tipping either way because, like, small baby with an adult mm-hmm. man's voice is very silly. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good, though. I love shit like that. I just love it. I love it when I love it when like ridiculous shit like that gets blended in with these like very genuine kind of honest uh, emotional that stories. Is, uh, that is that's me Yuki. It just makes me so good happy. news. You're in the right place. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Anyway, uh, I mean, you know, again, I think I think that's not just a Fushigi thing. I think that's I think that's frequently an anime thing where it's like, well, this premise is ridiculous, but these characters resonate, so mm-hmm. let's roll with oh, it. Oh, it's a very emotional um, moment while her boobs are bouncing all over the place. <laughs> well, I don't know about that one. I was thinking more just like you know, absurd cosmic forces are taking over the planet, but um, the fate of the world will be decided really by matters this children's our... card game. <laughs> 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 but then you but then like you freaking get into it i i just i love that about anime where it's like we're gonna ask you to accept kind of an absurd premise and believe it or not you're gonna be super duper into it by the time this is over and i mean some american fiction i mean some some fiction outside of anime does that as well but i think anime does it often and excellently mm. so yeah i enjoyed it so any other thoughts about the the sort of hotahori arc there and the the conversation they're having about I- parents and kids we didn't really talk about hokey yeah, at all who I didn't... probably has postpartum depression uh yeah i i like they were selling it as like oh she's so sad about hodahori dying but i definitely read it as postpartum depression mm. um, well and she shows up in uh again in that in that bridge light novel uh sanbo den she shows up at the beginning when tasuke and chichiri get back and the three of them kind of chat for a little bit and she is i mean she's basically hold she's she's pregnant she's basically holding it together and like trying to run the kingdom um and like they, they they're like she's very like she's clearly very sad but she's you know doing her best um which to me also suggests that you know the the actually having boshin had you know sort of triggered like she was already struggling and then this just made it worse mm-hmm. so mm. i really like hokey i wish she i wish she had more screen time because i think there's a really good character in there um, and the, the light novels again kind of touch on the fact <laughs> that i think she's a very good character we just don't get to see very much of it yeah that anime. was definitely a thing i liked about the the o- ovas is getting to spend a little more time with her like i like her mm-hmm. yeah she's good hokey's a good one there's I mean, Nariko likes her, so supporting yeah. character, and yeah, they're besties. It's great. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, speaking of mm, Nariko, mm. yeah, we'll get back to that. Okay, speaking of Nariko, that brings us to sort of the next arc in Oni Two, which is Nariko's story. It is the love of family, uh, specifically siblings. Did and kind of like Hatori's story deals with the realities of death and what that means to the people mm. uh, who who loved you. Did they retcon in an entire older sibling for Nariko? <laughs> Or was I just I mean, not paying attention? I mean, they didn't mention him before, but, like, I don't know if it would be a retcon so much as an uh, omission. Okay. 
I can't remember if in um, in the manga they do those character profiles. I can't remember if Noriko's if it was mentioned that Noriko had an older brother. Yeah. I think it was. I think so. I think the profile, which is in one of the first volumes of the manga, I think it says older brother, younger sister, and then deceased next to younger sister. Yeah. I mean, um, um, so I think I think Watase had it in her head that Noriko had a couple of siblings and just figured, well, this older brother they weren't that close, and it's not going to come up in the story. Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, she mentioned that Hotohori had an older brother in the character profile. That didn't come into the picture until until uh, they had to pull it directly it from their ass. Sorry, um, yeah, we'll get to that. Sorry, I just we'll I get mean, to that. <laughs> well, yeah, but we'll get to it anyway. Um, first of all, I love having to cheery or not to cheery. I love having to cheery around, but I also love having Chiriko <laughs> around, um, and actually getting mm-hmm. to know his character a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he had I one personally. this time. This was an anime. Cha- that this was an anime change that I really liked. Um, in the manga, they've got a nyan nyan just like traveling with them for like the entire thing, um, and Ch- Chiriko doesn't doesn't meet up with them until the very end. They do some like like the manga does some stuff with Chiriko's character, but it's very different, and I prefer what the anime did. Yeah, and I mean, I like. I personally like to think that this was what his personality always was. We just didn't get to see it, or he's kind of a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like uh, how do I put it? I not bratty, but like he—he's like Yui. He's a beautiful snark teen, and yeah, I'm here like for he's it. He's just kind of <laughs> temperamental because that felt more like authentically thirteen years old than anything that Chiriko has done at any point. Because he's written mm-hmm. more like he's—he's he's drawn and written more like he's like ten. Yeah, yeah. Or or when he or when his or when his power activates, you know, he's super mature because he's like extremely intelligent, which isn't how maturity works, but that's okay. <laughs> I know some very just, smart people I'll who just... are very immature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's an element of the story that would that's probably worth criticizing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, and I think you get a little bit of that sense of like uh, Chiriko's frustration in the manga when you know he's upset because his symbol doesn't always appear, and right. so he's really frustrated that he can't always be a member of the team, and he feels useless when he doesn't have that. And so I think I think a lot of that that sort of pent up frustration definitely manifests in this uh, interaction with Roko, who is alive but not not really living and Chico's mm-hmm. very angry about that yeah no it's it's um Unex- I wrote... unexpected but nice i wrote, actually mm-hmm. wrote a fan fiction about roko ah many many years ago over half my life ago what is time <laughs> what even is time what is time it's weird <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway we're gonna have that conversation multiple times during this probably um, uh but anyway like he is i think he's more interesting as a concept than an actual character mm-hmm. i think he's extremely unlikable as a character he's very frustrated he's very Chiriko is, is understandably frustrated yes, with him because he's such a f- like and i mean his whole thing is that he's a coward but he's just oh. It, they don't we don't know him well enough to sympathize with his obstinance so right. he is just a plot block right yeah exactly there you go he's just an obstacle but like if Noriko had like talked at least somewhat fondly of like his positive qualities uh ahead of the time like I get Noriko being annoyed and being like he's always been just a coward but like just being like oh yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna go see my brother oh I remember this this is about my brother but no he's just a fucking like whiny ass obstacle he kind of sucks yeah yeah i feel kind of bad for him i guess 
I can I can sympathize with somebody losing a family member who I mean you kind of get the sense they weren't even super close but yeah he was you know, kind this, of on the outside I, of I think, like Nariko and Corrine well and, and calls, I think a lot of like the sort of whatever little bit of an arc we get with Roko here and their and his relationship uh, with Nariko uh, it really to me a lot of it comes mm-hmm. down to this idea of like oh I had it in my head that you know someday I would I would be a, a good a good older brother to you and someday we'd be you know we'd be closer and someday this and that and so kind of dealing with this idea of like oh shit uh, mm-hmm. that's never going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sort of um, clinging to it's... this, then clinging to this like memory that arguably maybe didn't even exist. Yeah. Well, and I think it's an interesting um. choice that he calls Noriko Nguyen, mm. whereas, uh, I'm not even going to get into the dead naming thing. Cause like, you know, it's the nineties. Um, it's not great. Boy, boy, is this show yeah. not that it sensitive. Would... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, also, I mean, in, in, in Roko's defense somewhat on this point, it would be really hard to call one of your siblings by your other dead siblings. Yeah. Name. Like, no, I mean, listen, and that, that, that complicates that's things for him for, but everyone calls the celestial warriors by their warrior names. Like Tomahome's mm-hmm. dad and his siblings call him Tomahome. And I think that that speaks to sort of who he is, is that he has this very like rigid idea of not just who he wants to be to Noriko, but who Noriko is. And he sort of just perceives him as his little brother, Ryuin, not the person living as Kareen, not as the celestial warrior, Noriko. He's Ryuin. Yeah. And there's probably, I think there's an interesting idea in there in like when you're not close to somebody, but then they die, when they die and, and yeah, you mourn what you could have had and then performatively loving them after they're gone. But no, he's not a particularly likable character. No, he's, I agree with that. Um, I think that by the very end, he, he kind of, he semi redeems himself and it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay. You could, you could be a decent, you could be a decent fellow Mm -hmm. now that you're, now that you're finally actually trying to become that person you said someday you would become. There's also that there's a little flashback of like him as a kid, like, calling out for his siblings names and not being able to find them that that kind of got me because mm. mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's just sad it's you know anyone who loses family like that i guess it just kind of hits me a little bit um yeah i've i've never lost like super close family i've lost my grandfathers and an uncle mm-hmm. but never like anyone that i was really close to so it's it's definitely it's not something that it's hits me as hard within my realm of experience mm. that's mm. fair yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, I th- I thought I liked I thought Noriko's story was 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 a nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a ton of commentary about it. Um, I just I I enjoyed the idea of siblings who maybe never got along kind of finally coming to some sort of a reconciliation at the very end, and they have their their little moment where Noriko's like, "Well, you you'll always be my big brother," and I was like, "Oh, that's that's kind of sweet." Aww. So. Yeah, that's Noriko's story. Um, one other point about Noriko that I thought we would bring up now before we before we dove into the next part and, and Dee put on her angry hat <laughs> is Noriko in the in the episode after this. Noriko get, has a conversation with Taka about sort of the way he's feeling, and Noriko kind of gives him a, a pep talk. And I know Caitlin, I think you kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because you really enjoyed it. Mm. I think. Yeah, I really really enjoyed that. Basically, like anytime Noriko sits down and has a chat with someone. It's it's gonna be really good. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Nariko's the only one in the series who really sits down and listens to Taka in the whole thing, mm-hmm. and is it is sort of very uh, poignant when they're sitting there and you know, like, hey, you know, okay, you don't feel like Tamahome, that's fine. Then just be Taka, like, be who you are, and like, no one in 
the whole OAV takes the time to understand that, except for Noriko. And it's really beautiful. And, you know, Noriko's like, listen, like, you're still alive. You're still growing and changing. And I'm not. I'm always going to be who I was at that moment when I died. And then she just kind of, <laughs> it's like her, like the physics, like the way she's animated in this scene is really funny too. Because she just sort of like comes like floating out of the tree. Noriko and then is at good the actually. End of the conver- <laughs> right, did you say no, that? just, just Noriko is good. Noriko is good. All the time Noriko is good. Yeah. And then at the end of the conversation, they just kind of float away like, I appreciate being alive. <laughs> which like (laughs) very good line delivery on um mary mary mcglynn's part um so well and i i don't in fact i'm pretty sure that watase didn't think this through because uh because of all of the history of how noriko is written um they're they're just the cool really supportive sibling character which is great but also like uh of course Noriko is the one who is able to sympathize with Taka about somebody impressing a personhood that is not his on him. Like, of course yeah. they understand that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I yeah, thought about that. point. Yeah, I thought about that too when it was happening. I was like, this is probably unintentional, oh. but it's still very good yeah. characterization. Like, Nor- uh. Noriko is, is your gay aunt, and it's good. Understands. <laughs> gives good advice. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you know, the, the question of, like I said before, the question of Taka's identity and who is Taka versus who is Tamahome, like, I feel like was something that the series sort of underutilized. So it was mm-hmm. really nice seeing, like, Noriko just sort of sit down mm-hmm. and take that moment and give an opportunity to sort of explore that for a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and, and then, and to kind of accept that. I mean, it's, it's somewhat, uh, it's a little unfortunate that Noriko keeps referring to Taka as Tamahome after that scene. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and there's and there's an argument for well, it's just habit, and they're in the middle of and most of most of the time they're in the middle of like battle and danger, so it's so like you'll you will sort of default back to those mm-hmm. those modes. Mm-hmm. But like um, you'd think Noriko would but... take care with that for for those same reasons that names are important. Yeah, but it's still a good scene. It's good to see. It's good to have one of the warriors like very wholeheartedly accept like it's okay for you to be Taka. That's that's all right. You know, just do what you want, what you can do. Mm-hmm. Like you clearly love Miyaka and she clearly loves you. So, um, which is especially uh, apt and kind of works as a sort of counterpoint to the uh, other story that's sort of going on at the same time, which kind of involves rejecting the concept of Taka and him not being Tamahome and why that is a uh, bad thing uh, or a problem for one of the characters, thanks to evil poison water. And I am going to put on one sec, guys. Let me let me <laughs> dust that off. I haven't I haven't had to wear this in uh, a while. I don't know if I've ever worn it for a podcast. Uh, I'm going to have to put on my angry hat. <laughs> what have they done? Why have they transformed my good boy into a nice guy? Ugh. Why have they done this? I uh, hate it. What about his bandit husband? Well, that was always that was that was always uh non-canonical. <laughs> I mean, it's there. It's definitely there, but uh I, you guys, I hate this. I hate this scene. It's I hate really this, bad. I hate this arc. It's I really hate bad. It. I, it, okay, Let, let's talk about this. Um, this, there's a lot going on. Some of it, I think, maybe is of value, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, my angry hat is on, so we're going to focus on that. Um, <laughs> this 
scene tackles, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of the rape episodes in the TV series with mm-hmm. Tomo and Nakago and all that bullshit, in that I think it tackles a very real nightmare. Mm-hmm. The nightmare here is the nightmare of having a trusted friend who you have always had a really good relationship assault you. Like, that, right. is, a, that is a nightmare that I think, I think a lot of uh, people, especially... Um, especially women there's that there's there's this like almost ever present concern in the back of your heads when you start to make friends with oh, somebody always, yeah um particularly men and the scene in the room is so damn raw it's not it's not it's written so Miyako wakes up and like immediately knows that something's wrong and she's trying to walk this line of like I need to get out of here but I don't want to piss him off because I can tell right now that I'm in a very dangerous situation yeah and it's really so it's very uncomfortable to watch yeah I, I do think it... the... sorry go on no go ahead well well I, like I I'm really impressed by the scene before you know the the actual physical assault but I feel like the framing of the assault is very much in that yeah. sort of bad shoujo sexualized it's... rape thing yeah because it's it's like my thing is that it's like you know the the water does makes him do it but like it still feels like like there's been a buildup where Toski's like it, it's not making him do something that he does not have some desire to do, where he's like, oh, I could make Miyaka happy. She's so sad all the time when she's with with Taka, and I could take care of her. The, and I like I think the anime really fucking plays that up too. The anime plays that up like crazy. Mm-hmm. In the manga, the sense is more like this is a good friend I have. She's clearly upset. I wish there was. I wish there was something I could do to make her feel better. Mm-hmm. And um, then the water turns that into. Yeah, like he doesn't think to like the part where the part in the in the anime where he thinks like if Miyako was my girlfriend, I'd never make her cry or something like that. In the manga, he just thinks like if I fall in love, I'm never gonna make someone cry like that. Right. Um, and so it's a much more. There's more of this. There's a much more um, kind of distance to it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that it doesn't. So that the 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 evil poison water really shoves it in this direction of. Oh, the solution to me, uh, you know, making my friend feel better is for me to just uh, take over, mm-hmm. just take take the place of. Um, and I really want to talk about that. I really, we were definitely there's there. I think there's some some kind of interesting, valuable things in here. But can I just be angry for a little bit longer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. No, there, there's the horrible. Like, oh my god, I don't. Maybe it is. Maybe it is partly the way the anime be- decides to frame it but boy hey how about all that all men secretly want to rape their friends oh deep my down God. yes yeah, like, yes the hell fuck off with that because like okay and this is and this is speaking of someone who has a lot of really close male friends mm-hmm. uh we've been friends for years we've shared couches and beds together and guess what it was fine uh this arc really very punches personally to me more than i think a lot of the arcs in this mm-hmm. series um and i think even i think a lot more than it did when i was 14 like i didn't love it the first time i saw it i did not care for this episode mm-hmm. but this time through i just found myself getting very angry right. and watase's author's notes do not help <laughs> because they're i god i should i should have shared them with you guys because the, her author's notes during this piece are just atrocious um it's it's very hard to read it made me want to like throw things out windows um but there's like there's one line that's like uh she essentially says just because he's a friend it doesn't mean you should let your guard down <sighs> and i'm like oh. I, I see that so fucking... much in like in like shoujo manga where it's like yeah I where where it's like um oh I'm still a guy you know yeah I hate that line I hate it oh uh. and and like I mean that yeah. like like guys like they're all just like rapists in waiting waiting for a girl to let her guard down around them 
And, like, it doesn't matter who, like, if there's a girl and she's vulnerable, like, they they want to take the... They, they may hold themselves back, but they, they're just barely keeping themselves from assaulting her. Like, this and is offensive to everyone. Bullshit. That's, that's honestly one yeah. of the things I like about Yona going on a ta- tangent a little bit, is that she she trusts her warriors and, and like, they she sleeps in a tent with them. And it's never a thing. Because it's so common in, like, shoujo of all stripes. And I, I can think of so many different iterations of it. And it's basically like it, it is victim blaming for like acquaintance rapists. Like, well, if you trust these guys too much, what do you think's going to happen? And I fucking and here's the like it. I always I've, I always hate story arcs like these in general. But there is there's a part of me that understands that this is a conversation that unfortunately we, we do kind of need to have with teen girls. Uh, with young girls mm-hmm. because you because there is there's always that it sucks yeah. but there's always that sense of like when you first meet somebody you know be careful because you don't necessarily know mm-hmm. right. however and so like so like there's a you know you can have that you can have that conversation in fiction but at the same time like if you portray fucking every dude as just like waiting for that rape barely containing themselves and can't and these they all have these base urges that they might lose control of that's some bullshit it perpetuates terrible stereotypes for everyone and sets up this expectation that you know that because boys are reading this too i want to point that out watase talks in her author's notes a lot about how she has actually a lot of male fans and she's Mm -hmm. kind of surprised about that but like boys are also reading this and there's very much this it's tell a story that isn't that tell it tell at least like if you want to have a guy do that fine but then can you have some stories where not every guy miyaka meets and can she have one male friend who doesn't want to fuck her yeah can she just no, can she just have one who doesn't who doesn't try to assault her? Um, right. But didn't you know men and women can't really be friends? <sighs> Aspirational fiction is the place where not all men applies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's some, yeah, that's some aspirational Agreed. fiction. Men are and, not uh, all garbage. I have a lot of male friends, and I and I and I I like them a lot. We're very close. We have we have very good relationships. This is not like the these people exist. Yeah, like, um, I, I say that out of frustration. No, I do have some very close male friends um, mm-hmm. who I value yeah. very much. But it's, you know the and you know the thing that I think pisses me off the most about this story. Like it's bad enough that it's Toski, who we know we have established is a very good. He's <laughs> an extremely good boy. But here's the part that really gets me. Here's here's what here's why I hate this episode so much. If you're going to tell this story, if you're going to tell this story of the friend you think is your friend who then tr- who then assaults you, then you have to fucking commit to that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of this like you don't get to just you don't get to just blame evil poison water and then and then Miyaka and Taka are like fine and they act like nothing happens afterwards. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. That's really irresponsible. <laughs> like if you like if you're going to tell that kind of a story which is very difficult and hard and again has a lot of implications implications to it then you better commit to that mm-hmm. damn story well it's like in uh kiss him not me when um what's his face got is like delirious and assaults kai and like at least that had the dignity to be like even after he apologized and it's like established that like this was not like he wasn't himself like whatever they're excusing it that way that sucks oh well moving on she's still like i'm still not comfortable with you like yeah because that trust is broken time now. 
Yeah, it's going to end, and maybe over maybe over time, you know, they, they can eventually get back to that. But yeah, that's that's going to significantly damage the relationship. Like, it, it, and, it know, is I not mean, something will... that you can just consciously say, oh, well, he was under, like, un- he, he was under the influence of poison water, and that wasn't really him. It is, like, something that is traumatic. It triggers a response, like, a, I mean, it is, it, it, he could very potentially become a trigger. Like, it's, Yeah. And they don't they don't do that with with uh, I mean, they barely interact after that point. So maybe maybe that's the way the story's deal decided to deal with it. But it but they don't like like t- like Taka and Toski, like their relationship is fine. Pretty much. They after take that. cute bro uh, because because Taka's accepted because was... Toski's accepted Taka. And like, I mean, I guess the one thing I will give them is that the experience absolutely affects Toski. Like it significantly influences the way he behaves mm-hmm. and the decisions he makes for the rest of the story. But the fact that it, like it doesn't seem to have any effect on Miyaka and Taka, the people who were assaulted um, in various ways, is really, really yeah. And it's all me. started with that. Like, you know what starts it? You know what kicks it off? That fucking sexy mouth to mouth scene. Ugh. His mouth is not sexy. I okay. So <laughs> there's one thing I do kind of like about that moment, which is which is my headcanon image of uh, Shichiri walking up from a distance and seeing this and going no 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 <laughs> and running and immediately like like busting into the scene and like ruining the moment mouth- which he does. <laughs> mouth to mouth is not <laughs> sexy. That that is the one because Omake. That I would made like you laugh. to know. <laughs> oh, when it's like, well, she's dead. Oh, well. <laughs> there's lots of other girls. Out there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that one was actually really funny. It was dark, but it it, it was dark, funny. but it was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm tired now, you guys. It's... This is why I'm. This is why I don't wear my angry hat very often. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of energy. You have to work um, up to being angry. I actually can we can we break briefly? I'm gonna take my angry hat off, and then I do kind of want to keep talking about this episode because as much as I viscerally hate it. Um, I think there are some things we can talk about that are kind of interesting mm-hmm. in what it's doing that might not suck. Hey, AnyFam, D here, your managing editor and Fushigi Yugi OVA MC. We had originally planned to release the OVAs as a single bonus podcast, but it turned out there was a lot more to discuss than we'd expected. Long story short, by the time we were done, we'd been recording for almost three solid hours. What can I say? We are dedicated to our craft. So, we decided it'd be best to split the watch-along into two podcasts instead. Sorry for the kind of awkward stopping point, but it's the closest thing to a midway spot that we had, and since we took a recording break at that point, too, it kind of made sense to give you folks a listening break here as well. If you like hearing us shout about cartoons, you'll be pleased to know that you can find more of our work at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at AnimeFem, on Tumblr at AnimeFeminist, and on Twitter at AnimeFeminist. We also have a Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash animefeminist, and we'd love it if you'd consider becoming one of our patrons for a dollar or more each month. We're dedicated to making sure all our contributors and editors are paid fairly for their work, and your support is what makes that happen, both in print and in your earbuds. Okay, that is the end of my adverts. Thanks again for listening, AniFam, and be sure to tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion of our Fushigi Yugi watch-along, where I have a lot of feelings about Chichiri, and everybody gets real salty about Eiko Den. See you then.